0: Everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I hope all is well in your world. You know, the world that keeps spinning so darn fast. And isn't it amazing how fast it's all going by? I mean, you think about that. It's something I've come to realize since I started doing the podcast now, eight months in, is by talking to so many of these great personalities that were such a big part of my life back in the day, that that day is now coming up on 25 years. That's incredible. That's how long it's been. Since I left the WWF slash WWE. And I think, wow, that's more than two decades ago. And it's just like, you know, the blink of an eye. It's like, like that. Bing, bing, bong, it's gone. Anyway, my guest on the podcast this week, I hadn't spoken to in almost three decades. And the reason I say that, is because uh, we only knew each other very briefly back then. When I was coming in, he was heading out. And you know him as Craig DeGeorge. Remember that name? Uh, His real name is Craig Minervini, and for some reason, Vince didn't like his last name, so he had him change it, but um, he had the mic in his hand before I got there, and I thought it'd be really interesting to bring him on the podcast and get his take on what he saw uh, of the WWF, WWE back then, and I was definitely not disappointed. I believe you're going to agree when you hear our conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with me on Twitter, Use at Sean Mooney Who. And we still have the t-shirts. If you haven't gotten your very own Sean Mooney Who tea become, the, uh, become part of the nation of the few. That's one of our listeners coined that. I love it. So you can get a Sean Mooney Who t-shirt and be one of the nation of the few. And you can also get a primetime logo tee, which is really nice. All right, that takes care of all the business. So let's get down to business and get to the main event. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, this is an interview I have wanted to do for nearly 30 years. Prior to my arrival in the WWF, uh, with the exception of Gene Oakland, he was one of the first backstage interviewers slash host slash whatever announcing duties Vince wanted you to do. Uh, You knew him as Craig DeGeorge. I'm really excited to welcome Craig Minervini. Craig, thank you for being here on Primetime. How are you, my friend?
1: John, good to be with you. Yes, uh, you replaced me, as I recall, way back when. And we were there during some incredible years of the then uh, World Wrestling Federation.
0: Yeah, and and they certainly were. And I have to tell you that uh, you, people, uh, and I want to tell you, folks, uh, we, did, we were kind of like two ships passing in the WWF. And yeah, I know you were there for right. some... You did some events even when I was there. But, you know, we never really had a chance to see each other that much. So this is a conversation yeah. that has been waiting to happen. I don't know if we ever really got the uh, opportunity to to talk much when I had no. first come up. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of amazing uh, that it's been <laughs> like three decades now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know... You were there. You came in when uh, you know, that when it was really exploding. So we got a lot of ground to cover here. First, uh, you know, you you were from Long Island, right? Tell me a little bit about yeah, where you up, came from.
1: Sure, grew up in New York, Sean. Uh, I went to Syracuse University, and because I growing up in New York, uh, all I really knew from wrestling was Vince McMahon, and and it was even called the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and then later WWF. Right and it was on Channel 9, W-O-R-T-V in New York, and I would catch it on a Saturday or a Sunday, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, uh, uh, what was Ken's name, the big, t- uh, Ken... Uh, it was Mr. Strongman.
2: Yeah, Ken, Ken Terra. yeah.
1: You know, and guys are much, be- even before him. So uh, I wasn't a, I wouldn't say a monster wrestling fan. I loved watching Vince, though, his in interviews. I loved the TV aspect of it, and I would watch it uh, from time to time, uh, over even growing up. So uh, I, my first job out of Syracuse, well, I was in a little station in West Virginia as a sports director, uh, WOAY TV in Oak Hill, and I got a call from a guy I had met after I had interned at Madison Square Garden Network during my college years. Yeah. This gentleman by the name of Phil Harmon had gone over to Titan Sports. You know, I was a year into my job in the middle of nowhere, and he said, hey, how would you like to come and work for the WWF? Uh, so it was an exciting, uh, thought and I went to interview with Vince and I got the job.
0: Yeah. Now, now, before we get into that folks, uh, with the, uh, the job with the WWF that, uh, Greg was there, uh, for yeah. a couple of years, but I, I really want to kind of set the stage here because I don't know if people really know what it was like to grow up in New York. Of course, if you grew up there, you know what I'm talking about, but it really is like, you know, this is sports Mecca and kids grow up and they have all of these pro sports around them you know yeah the, you know, the knicks yeah. and you've got yeah. the jets and you've got the giants and you've got so right. uh and you're on long island and um and also uh, what was it I mean did you envision uh, like someone like marv albert i know that he's somebody you admired uh very much yes. uh were you like that growing up you know would you do the play-by-play what uh, were you like Sean, when you got into it
1: i i would say this Sean, absolutely in fact i was a uh, a finalist in the Marv Albert uh, Soundalike <laughs> uh, Contest. Yeah. And I am in uh, Marv's book. Uh, and Mike Fertella wants to uh, talk it over. Uh, yes, everybody who I really was, I was a finalist in this contest my senior year of college. I took a tape in to the garden. Um, like many young, budding sportscasters in New York, I grew up a tremendous fan of Marv. Right. who was not only the voice of the Knicks and the Rangers on radio, but he also was the local sports anchor, on uh, WNBC, so he would do the 6. The, the sports came on then at 6.40. So picture this a, on a typical, let's say, Tuesday night. He would do the sports at 6.40, get over to the Garden probably around 7, 7.10, be on the air for the 7.30, either Nick or Ranger game on Wednesdays and Sundays, and then go back and do the 11 with a little bit of a hoarse voice. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Chuck and Sue, that was the <laughs> anchor team, Chuck Scarborough and Sue Simmons. Right. And, well, yeah. you know, for baseball, well, hey, everybody, I'm Bob Murphy, and this is the Mets pregame show brought to you by Schaefer and Schaefer-Late, yeah. premium taste and price rate. Yeah. I was a tremendous fan of Bob Murphy, who yeah. I got to know later on as the voice of the Mets, uh, two of my heroes, for sure heroes, sportscasting-wise, and you got to watch Warner Wolf on on. Yeah the local television, who was a huge the TV sports anchor. And so I was, I was enthralled with the business, even into my single-digit years. I wanted to be a sportscaster,
2: six, yeah. seven,
1: eight. I would impersonate guys, and it was a big Lindsey Nelson. And it was a great place to grow up. My dad was a huge sports fan, and we pl- I played sports, hockey, and baseball mostly. And that's how I got into it.
0: Yeah, and that's the way a lot of kids grew up. Uh, who wanted to be broadcasters and and Marvin, of course, the brothers were you know the the guys who did it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, do you Stephen do a Kiner, Huffman. by the way? Since we're since we're talking about it, I, do, you, do you do a <laughs> that Ralph one Kiner? Is
1: gone, goodbye. I didn't do a very good uh, Ralph Kiner,
0: but yeah, I remember. You know, I worked. I did at
1: Tim Ryan though. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> remember That's Tim cute. Ryan?
0: Excuse yeah, sure. It's Herman she... Meyer. Herman <laughs> Meyer has got the lead
2: here in Lillehammer!
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. That's great. But uh, uh, you know, Marv Albert was certainly uh, a guy that a lot of kids growing up wanted to be, uh, especially when you grew up in that yeah. area. You, by the way, you do it. You do a tremendous Marv, and uh, I'll tell you my one Marv story. Sure. Yeah, you do. But yes. uh, you know, I worked with Major League Baseball Productions before I went to work for uh, Titan, right? Uh, WWF. And, um, so we did a lot of stuff with the NBC pregame show. We did you know all we did all their you know sure. pieces and stuff like that. And uh, I was kind of coming up. I was uh, producing some things and, you know, trying to get on TV, whatever. And I'd come out to Tucson, and for some reason, uh, Marv was out here for uh, one of the golf tournaments or something. I can't even remember what it was. And he was with right. remember his uh, his his guy that used to be his uh, stats guy, uh, Steve Dans. Do you remember him? Yes. He was his stat uh, guy forever. Yes. Yeah. So yes. anyway, we, we're, I'm driving. I was supposed to drive them over to this uh, place at, with Marv. I, that yeah. was my. They say, "Hey, you're out there. Give him a, you know, give him a ride." And right. uh, we're riding, riding in this rental car, and uh, I'm playing the radio. And I remember the right. uh, the great Marv Albert kind of reaching over and, "Hey, Sean, will you turn the radio down a little?" <laughs> that was <laughs> that was it. That's. That was my That's great, great well, memory.
1: So let, me, Marv, so, so let me let me fast forward. So yeah. so the XFL is coming around. Ironically, uh, I got to work for Vince a second time, and I, and but before the uh, they named announcers, I saw Marv at a. Uh, you know, I would see him from time to time at a Nick or uh, whatever a Nick usually a Nick Heat game down here in South Florida. Yeah. and so because of the satellite contest, I had a connection with him, and he remembered. Uh, and this is even a decade later. He'd, he'd say, I, I guess, I remember he said to me once, I guess the satellite contest really paid off. I see you uh, quite a bit over <laughs> here. And then so I said, well, what about the XFL? He goes, well, the XFL is coming. Costas and I are not uh, touching it. But it could be a, a good opportunity uh, for you.
0: Yeah, so so he, uh, he, uh, I wound uh, he up getting it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wound up doing the play-by-play with Bob Golick on one of the uh, – on one of the uh, three or four TV teams we had. And I really had fun with doing that too and working for Vince in a different way.
0: Yeah, And and we're going to get to that because uh, as we kind of go on the timeline here, because yeah. I don't know, I don't think a lot of people know that or, or were aware of it, uh, mm-hmm. but you did. You came back to work for Vince at some point.
1: Well, my, uh, with my real name then, uh, doing, uh, yes. doing football. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, but let's go, let's get back because I go off the track here all the time, but that I, I just knew that that was a big part of your life Ah, uh, growing up, big, and yeah. of course, if you wanted to get into broadcasting, where'd you go to school? You went to the same yeah, school, Marvland. Yeah, you
1: that's went right. to Syracuse. Mar- Bob Cox, right? Yes, that's A lot of a lot of kids from, especially from the Northeast, yeah. uh, you know, wound up going to Syracuse, which, by the way, has got a great broadcast school. Sean, is, yeah. it's well known. But you know, University of Florida down here has got a great school. Missouri, there's a bunch of great schools. What attracted and made Syracuse really such a great school was the people that went there. The school is outstanding. But the people that went there were so into it, uh, you almost treated it like a job, even as a freshman. Uh, uh, and uh, that's part of the magic of, of Syracuse University and the Newhouse School.
0: Yeah, and when you were ready, when you were leaving there, you were ready to go to work, which is not the case for a lot of schools you go to.
1: Yeah, I, I, mean, I was lucky. I got, I got as a sophomore, we did the Syracuse Chiefs games. And I was able to. I was picked as one of the broadcasters, and we did the AAA games. You know, in my sophomore year, I spent my summer in Syracuse with none other than Sean McDonough, yeah. your Monday Night Football play-by-play man. Greg Papa, who's now the voice of the Raiders, and has been there and is a very popular uh, Bay Area sportscaster. And, uh, and a guy named Gary Mendelow was a talented sportscaster, worked in Indianapolis and uh, Cleveland for a while. And that was a fun job at age 19 doing AAA baseball for 14 bucks a game, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, hey. But really, I mean, what an opportunity. Okay. And look at all these these great names that have you know come out of there and and become you know tremendous broadcasters of the industry. Yeah. Uh folks you know yeah. him as Craig DeGeorge is the name he has uh heard most in his life is Craig Minervini. And uh, you know, Craig, let's get back to when you got to the WWF. And um yeah. that had to be, like you said, I was another person who came from the outside world and and went into that right. world you know to do it. Um uh, yeah. but you were there, you know, prior to the time I got there, and it was just exploding. Uh, give us, uh, you know, feet on the ground when you first got there.
1: Right.
0: What was that yeah. like for you?
1: Uh, I got there uh, just short of WrestleMania three, probably about a month or so, maybe two months maximum before WrestleMania three. My first show I was supposed to go watch. It was at the. Um, the sun dome in the Tampa area at the campus of the university of South Florida. And I was only supposed to observe. I don't know if you had that, you know, Hey, go watch kid. You know, oh, yeah, you're not yeah. going to do it. And all of a sudden about seven o'clock, Gene Oakland kind of screams down. say it was like five after seven. Hey kid. You know, I looked over at Gene. <laughs> he goes, the big guy wants you to do something tonight. And I had the jacket already with, I had a tie on. So I'm like, Oh, yeah. no problem. I, I said, uh, he says one other thing, and he kind of walked away and turned around. He wants you to change your name. And I'm like, well, When are we going on? He said, Oh, about seven thirty. Now I look at my watch. Now it's like ten after seven.
0: Come oh, like, on, you got twenty minutes to get a name. I,
1: I got. This is this is not a little radio show that nobody's right. ever going to hear. This is national television where the huge ratings, every market in the country and and worldwide for that matter. And I got to come up with a new name. Craig Minervini isn't going to work, never mentioned before. You know, I mean, could they not have mentioned? So, believe it or not, there was a phone book there. And Gene Oakland, literally, and me are thumbing through the phone book. Craig Verga, Craig this, Craig that. Not, I couldn't, I'm like, Gene, I, I'm not comfortable with any of these names. And my mother's maiden name was DeGeorge and is oh, DeGeorge, okay. my cousins. So I thought of that, and, and now it's 720-ish. I called my mother up, too, from that payphone right there. No cell phones then. And I said, what do you think of Craig DeGeorge? You know, and, and it felt comfortable. So yeah. I said, that's my name. And they went, they threw it by Vince. What? DeGeorge? Okay. So I do a little quick bit. And, and you couldn't even hear Vince say my name over the crowd. Let's go down to Craig DeGeorge! Yeah. You know, <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Did my bit, right? The next shoot, we were in Baltimore. Uh, like three or four days later, the show had already aired. And some fan from up said, hey, DeGeorge. And I said, man, what did I get myself into? I mean, how does he know my name already? You know? uh-huh. And so I was like, here we go. And that, that's what it was like. It was, really was amazing.
0: So the Minervini family side was okay with this?
1: Yes, they were. The DeGeorge family was upset that I would disgrace the name uh, being around <laughs> the wrestling business. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I- a lot of people
0: don't. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. I was gonna say, I, I to this day, I still joke about it. I say, I, I say how I elevated this, the George name to and they always rank on me. And say, you didn't elevate it; you were in wrestling. I, said, it's I took great it worldwide. Business. You never knew. You never knew what kind of great. But that's the thing I didn't know. Sean is is what a great. Not only the people that we got to work with, yeah. but the business side of it. To hear Vince lead a meeting and to see him sort of a, as a puppeteer of all these wrestlers, he could do each wrestler. Better than even Hogan could do Hogan or Macho Man could do Macho Man. And to be around that and see the business was was absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah.
0: And I don't know. I don't think we appreciated it at the time. And we were both just trying to become, you know, broadcasters and and have these opportunities. But I think since we we certainly have. Um, Yeah. And I don't, you know, I always, uh, people don't really understand what it was like at that point. Uh, in the business. now these these worlds were colliding uh, back then when you had Vince had seen that, you know, I got to start bringing people from the outside in who are uh, you know a better better caliber of talent. And that's on you know, not just in front of a microphone or a camera, but also behind the scenes. And so it was this collision yeah. of two worlds. And uh, I'm, do you remember just how crazy it was that you know there was the K Fabe side of this that we came right. in, you know, you come in there, and the guys are speaking Carney. Uh, what was it like when you first arrived? Was it just uh, Oh, absolutely. Uh, the
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, they did, because of our position, Sean, you and I were both on the air. Everybody knew who we were in a short period of time. And not yeah. only that, but we would do those interviews where, you know, and we could get into this later in the show, but how, how the shows were, were structured was there was a segment, two minutes and 24 seconds, I think it was, uh, in each show. And there were three of them per show. And they yeah. were interviews to promote the upcoming um, live shows. And in, in about probably 50 to 70 markets, you'd get a customized interview because those would be the next, let's say, month, month and a half. And then everywhere else, you'd have a generic interview. But they had to be done uh, on an incredible basis from a n- number standpoint, you know, every week. So I would fly to literally, I think I flew once to Tucson, Arizona, actually, and uh, in a holiday Inn, and they set up the the blue background with WWF logo. And and literally, I would do up to 100 interviews a day. Yeah. Uh, in a given day, and I do Hogan, and Hogan would warm up with with the small markets Erie, Pennsylvania, and Springfield, Mass, and uh, Paducah, Kentucky, and and then all of a sudden, okay, brother, let's bring on New York. You know, all yeah. right, he's coming to Madison Square Garden Tuesday, and but all those interviews, and occasionally they would make a mistake. They would send Springfield, Mass, to Springfield, Missouri, and there were <laughs> there was a checker who would listen to some of the words and make sure. Uh, whatever was said was okay. And they, every now and then it would miss some, you know, a guy, I'm going to knock you down the Hershey highway. That uh, got on the air. Nobody knew what a Hershey <laughs>
2: highway was. <right>. I,
1: mean, <laughs> I mean, there was some funny stuff that that went on in those days. There was a guy named Frenchie. I don't you remember Martin. Frenchie.
0: Yeah. Frenchie Martin. Uh,
1: well, not Fre- no, the guy I'm thinking of was Rene. Was it Rene? He was Rene a French Goulet? guy. They called him yeah. Rene Goulet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a uh, great wrestler and a nice man. And he was usually our checker. I think they call him Frenchie, but for uh, for a... Oh,
0: know, great. A guy know. who can barely speak English is checking all yeah, of the... Yeah, and yeah. he was, know,
1: okay, yeah. yeah I did not I did not know this Hershey Highway. You know? That <laughs> <laughs> was Billy Jack Haynes who said, I'm going to knock you down. Yeah. But uh, those were fun. Those were fun times. It was a neat business. For us, on the inside, we were truly... You know, insiders compared to the kayfabe and the uh uh-oh, you know, somebody on the outside, and it was two different worlds. I mean, when Bobby Heenan had that so-called neck injury, uh, he had to wear that neck brace for a matter of months, two, three, four months, maybe, outside of every time he was outside of the wrestling arena or anywhere in public, um, airports, uh, restaurants, he had that neck brace on.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, the what you're talking about with those interviews it eventually morphed into the event center, which I spent my life at, uh, most of my life when I was with the WWF. But Gene talked about this. I had Gene on a few podcasts ago, yeah, and he, you know, talked about how, you know, it was grueling where I was in the event center. But at least I was in the studio, and I only did, you know, like the bridge stuff in between, read the card right. stuff. You guys... And it's it's brilliant that they came up with that because then it just it eliminated God probably ninety percent of those interviews those guys would have to do customizing everything they could just stick with their oh, gimmick. But yeah. a story I line didn't realize
1: this. you didn't do this, so you didn't do the customized.
0: Well, no, interviews. that's what I you know I came in and I you know I think that's why Gene was damn glad to see me uh, because just because he didn't he wanted no part of that. I mean he had. Yeah, done, Gene and, they, they and I would do them.
1: Gene was the best yeah. uh, by yeah. far at those, but I would do a bunch of them too and. And it truly was like you'd get each guy for 20, 25 interviews back to back for a good hour. Uh, You know, and they put the little card and it was nothing fancy, a magic marker, you know, it would say at the top, uh, you know, whatever the show was, Madison Square Garden, New York, April 19th. And it had one, two, three. And usually you read the bottom of the card a little bit. You brought on one of the guys at the top of the card right and 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 then, and then as soon as that was done boom you do the next one and literally and yeah so what you did is you did all the the personalization it sounds like and he had an interview that was more generic that they could pop in yeah right? they,
0: they could do that yeah they could do that between unless it was yeah. a really big event you know you'd have Hulk right. you know mention the garden or something like that but a lot of right. it was just whatever their storyline was and then i would say you know yeah. coming to paducah you know and uh coco right. beware can't wait to fly into the ring and then he would come on you know and, yeah but yeah. Gene talked about just how exhausting, not just, uh, you know, the, doing those interviews, just endless interviews. And like you yeah. said, we got, uh, the information we got would just be on a card. You'd have whatever the right. venue was. And then they'd have the lineup of the card, you know, from the main event down to the bottom of the card. And you would just yep. rattle that stuff off. And, uh, yeah. but the travel schedule was insane too, that on top yeah. of it,
1: yeah, it was, well, They did. uh, It was superstars of wrestling, and I think it was it wrestling challenge. Was the yeah wrestling
0: challenge and spotlight. What was the one with with Lord Alfred
1: Hayes? That spotlight wrestling spotlight was the one we did with with Lord Alfred Hayes. You did that show too, I think, right?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I did. Right, yeah. So, so those are the three the three shows that when I was there, uh, superstars of wrestling and wrestling challenge were two one hour shows that ran each pretty much each Saturday morning. And then the, the spotlight ran at other times, and that was the show that we did from the studio first in Stanford. Uh, first in, for when I started, it was actually in Owings Mills, Maryland. That, for the first year, they didn't own their own studio, so I would go to uh, constantly go to Baltimore and, and drive down to Owings Mills, and then for the first year, the place I think it was called Video One or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And Baltimore, we did all our production they there until stuff, they, yeah. until they built the new one in Stanford. But um, those shows, the thing they did was they always picked two cities within about two hours of each other. Right. Um, so it might be, you know, what a St. Louis and Paducah or whatever, uh, Providence and and Bostoners, and you'd have the show Superstars of Wrestling. Usually was always the first night. That was the biggest show they did, and then then they had the challenge show the next night, back to back, and it was long. They would tape three shows. That's three hours pretty much, plus all the dark matches. And you always had to finish with Hogan to keep the crowd there until 11 and 30. And he on was a school on night. And it was Oh, my God. It was a long You're right. Oh, it was a long yeah. night. But I will say this, Sean, and you and I have covered a lot of sports in our careers. Yeah. We have the, the biggest of the biggest. Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, Finals, NBA, series, oh, yeah. majors, World Series, you name it. We've been at all these events. I will put Hulk Hogan coming in the ring with that music and that crowd as electrifying as any event I've ever been at.
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally, and I've said that many times that I still, and yep. I've been to some incredible events, but I still remember when he would come out and, and you would feel that pop it go right through your chest. That was like the best way I could yeah, I could explain it that, you know, yep. that you've got, you know, it's all these people, uh, I want to get back to talking about that, uh, Fitting in, in in that period of time. Like we came from, you know, totally, I was totally green into the business. I really had no, oh, I didn't no know idea. What, how like worked.
1: I said, I was a viewer. I did not yeah. know the inside of the wrestling business. And much beyond Randy Machaman Savage and Hulk Hogan and, and maybe the Iron Sheik, I didn't know a lot of the other guys either when I first got the job. Then I started watching it, obviously, and right. mostly before I uh, moved in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's a uh, distrustful business anyway. So you've got a lot of these guys that were there who had come from, you know, generations of wrestlers, uh, which made up a lot of it at the time. And then you had other guys coming in that, uh, you know, Vince was impressed with or whatever and gave, you know, and and these guys were colliding. And then you brought people like us in. And how long did it take you before uh, you felt like you were at least accepted? I I never said I became one of them. But
1: right. I felt I'd be honest with Sean. I, I, I really felt pretty comfortable. Gene Oakland was the greatest. You oh couldn't yeah. have a nicer yeah. mentor. He was the best. Yeah. Nobody will ever be better than him. He right. was the he was the Vin Scully of of wrestling uh, announcers and, and always will be. Nobody could touch him. He was just the best. So yeah. the most important thing for me was I just tried to be myself. And I was more of a sportscaster type, and I think that's why they hired probably you too. We came from with a different angle. We sounded like sportscasters. We looked like sportscasters, and it gave hopefully a different era of credibility to uh, to the, the the show. But I felt uh, comfortable. I would say really from the uh, the outset, I had some friends that were I was tighter with than others, like Luscious Johnny Valiant and believe it or not Nikolai Volkoff, mm-hmm. and I would usually drive. Volkov uh, at a minimum and sometimes Johnny V to the uh, whatever event when we did that first show and get around a car I would usually drive those two guys or uh, to whatever next event I even brought Volkov one time we were in Syracuse, I brought him to the broadcast class <laughs> the broadcast journalism class and that was oh, a lot of fun awesome. he, had this, yeah. he had this maroon <laughs> suit with these yellow stripes and it was off oh, yep. matching pants, you remember yeah. the suit he had <laughs> one suit, yes tie.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Great guy though. Uh, they were really I uh, look, they you always heard hey, watch out for this guy, watch out for that guy, but right. for the most part they were they were good guys. And I you know, I covered my drinks in the bar so nobody ever uh, messed around. But uh, you know, cuz you didn't know what was going to go on. It was a crazy group of people, you know, especially after the show. Uh, yeah, these guys went their tails off.
0: Yeah. And I know? think fortunately for us. And I I think it was the same case with you. You know, people like like Gene was always awesome to me. We never ever had an yeah. issue. I never always. tried to be Gene. I always knew that that was, you know, he did what he did, I did what I did. Uh right. Gorilla was great. Gino uh was so
1: great awesome. Guy.
0: Yeah, and and also uh you know, Bobby uh I got along with really well. And 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 Lord Alfred Hayes was a prince. I mean, he was Always oh, I love tremendous, and right. if it wasn't for him, Craig, I'm telling you, I, w- I wouldn't have survived the first year because those guys yeah. kind of, you know, they gave me kind of the inside stuff. But I think we are fortunate. And I was going to say is that those guys that uh, were part of the announced team, whatever you want to call it, broadcast team,
1: right.
0: were really great to us.
1: You're right, all the way around. Yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And Mean Gene, you know, because here we are, we're the young guys on the scene. Who are these guys? Yeah. Gene was a legend even back then. He was oh, a, yeah. a legend with his sense of humor. I remember he used to bring on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and he would do this introduction for Duggan of, Hacksaw Jim Duggan played his college football at SMU, and he took a pay cut to play for the Atlanta Falcons. Come on in! He had great (laughs) line. Oh, yeah.
0: And you know, it was Uh, like he he had a Rolodex. uh, But but Gene had like a Rolodex. And I tell you, you'd hear him, the lines over and over again, but the delivery and the timing was always so great, Uh, you still laughed your ass off, you know?
1: still laughed and, and you know he you had know, that even on planes I, i've been looking at the back of a plane we've been traveling and i'd see his hand on a stewardess's hand and they they were called stewardesses <laughs> then not flight attendants and yeah. and i'd hear come on honey give it all up come away with me you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know he was a jokester you know and he was it was just yeah. funny it was part of it he, he was like that everywhere he was a, a character and uh you know and he still is to this day i still get a, a chance to talk to him uh, over in sarasota We've been missing each other. We've been in the same city a few times. We're going to hook up for lunch and haven't done it, but we will hopefully. And, you know, um, he was, you're right. The people that we got to work with most closely were those, were those types. And a couple producer producers and Kevin Dunn and, and uh, Kerwin, the, the director, those kind of people were, were very good to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was also uh, a, a pretty much a small family. If you think about what that staff consisted of when we were there. And today, you know, it's this gigantic corporation and they got full sale and the, you know, they've just got, you know, you go to a, uh, a live event, there's just trucks and trucks and, you know, tour buses that all the guys are in. But back then, I mean, really that crew from Stanford was pretty small because like you said, there was Kevin yeah. and the other Kevin Quinn and, uh, Gore, you know, uh, right. you know, it Irwin really was, so was yeah, the Irwin. director. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know,
0: they had, uh, Nelson what was that Nelson
1: be running around Nelson. Yes, and then I remember on those TV shows, they had, I think the guy's name was Ferdinand. I forgot. He had a nice man, gray hair, and he would do the lighting. And he did the lighting for the HBO Boxing. And he yep. would set up, I, I can remember like yesterday, he'd walk into the arena. Okay, put that number 22, the little left, little left, number 23. <laughs> and he'd have all those lights, and it'd take forever. I mean, it hours he would spend. Each light was angled at the crowd, so it created that little spotlight effect that was part of the look, but it was a, it was a high-end look. Back in the day, where the crowd, you know, they didn't have all the signs like they had, you know, maybe a decade or two later, but the crowd you could see and they were very much part of the action when that TV camera started rolling.
0: Yeah, and you look at uh, some of the innovations really that, uh, you know, Vince brought to network television. Uh, you know, you can take it outside of even saying wrestling, but, you know, showing the crowd and lighting the crowd. You didn't really see that before. And I watched, you know, a couple of those early pay-per-views and you could see that they were still getting their feet under them, uh, you know, with camera yeah. angles and that kind of thing. But really, I mean, do you remember thinking back then, you know, these, this guy is really, you know, setting a trail oh, here.
1: Yeah. You knew, you knew you were part of something special. I mean, you walk in and then, you know, 10 in the morning and the Ferd's doing the lights and they're setting it all up. HBO Boxing probably did. I think he did the same for it. I think his name was Ferd Manning. Now that I think of it, I'm not positive, but it's something like that. And I think he did HBO Boxing. And you know, having look, I went to Syracuse and I worked at a small station and did some stuff, but this was big time and that was exciting. I mean, I, I used to do these interviews. I don't know if you did them, Sean, on that platform. I think you did.
0: Oh in, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The, in front of the crowd. At the event. Yeah. You
1: know, you're in the you're in the front of the crowd. And and you bring on a Hogan or whatever, and uh, I can remember one time, it was kind of funny, it was around the holidays, and I went out, and right on the way out to the, there was a platform, and literally everything would stop, and they would uh, the light would come on, and I would do my, my shtick, and it was about a two-minute bit. I'd bring somebody on. Well, anyway, my button of my WWF jacket came off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are you going to do? I'm literally walking out to the, I, I couldn't stop, I couldn't, the show goes on, right? I put the button in my pocket. So now I have a jacket without the button, buttoned, Yeah. WWF. I bring on whomever. I do my whole, you know, we had kind of in your head, you knew what you were going to say. It's a good 40, 50 seconds. And then here comes whomever. And I threw in a, uh, (laughs) a, instead of saying happy holidays, I said happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, one of those kind of lines. And all of a sudden, just as the guys start to come in, the music, everything goes, comes to a halt. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm standing there, and here comes Vince, a slow, deliberate walk, and I'm like, "Uh oh!" Yeah. And I had to lean over, a lean over off this six-foot-high platform I was on. Don't you ever come out here without your jacket buttoned? And forget uh, this Christmas; just Happy Holidays. <laughs> and I'm like, I whispered to him, "My, my button fell off." But, ah! <laughs> yeah. What the hell? And I had to do the whole stick all over again. People thought it was probably, you know, the same words, basically. And uh, uh, the music started again. It was uh, it was a little embarrassing, but it was funny.
0: <laughs> but it is funny. But it just shows you the attention to detail that has never left that man, ever.
1: I mean, Vince, I mean, he's worried about me coming out, and, you know. And, I'm the and he, was, he was all over everything. There was production meetings in, the, you know, in this giant room. They didn't have the writers like they have today. Yeah. They had a, probably some ideas they threw out there, and Vince would lead the the meeting, you know, and, and talked in the third person. Well, Vince will say this, and there yeah. was a big deal with uh, Matilda at the time. The British Bulldog was uh, was missing. It was a lo- major yeah. story we we covered. I thought <laughs> yes. we did it as well as anybody. Oh, Peter I Jennings think so. never had that nope, story. Yeah. Brokaw <laughs> didn't have it.
0: They and, never got uh, it. So we,
1: got this, <laughs> we got this thing in the mail. I, with WWF logo, you know, I love getting mail from them because they're so cool with that logo on the left corner of the, yeah. of the envelope. And I get the mail, dear talent, you know, copied everybody. Yeah. Do not use the term, quote, dog-napped in any <laughs> reference to Matilda. You know, this big, serious letter, yeah. you know, problems with the ASPCA, so on, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. S- signed, you know, Vince in production and all that, right? The first show. It wasn't two minutes in where Jesse Ventura goes, well, Matilda was dog-napped, man.
0: <laughs> and Jesse would say whatever I'm the hell like, he wanted.
1: This guy could get away with anything. we yeah. just got a, I got a letter sent to my house a week in advance of this show. You yeah. can't say dog-napped.
0: Oh. But Jesse could.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Jesse could say anything. Yeah, you know, yes. That,
0: <laughs> but you talk about these interviews that we did, uh, you know, the, and especially the live ones and the ones backstage that we would... That, you know, back then when you, they would give us a pretty good idea of what we had to say. Uh, but you, you, you had some leeway there and you could pick moments or do you, they can't do that today at all. And Jean talks about it, uh, that, that how much that really added to those interviews back then.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Ours was, there was really almost no direction on the, on the, yeah. let's say those two minute 24 interviews. You could pretty much say whatever you wanted. Uh, for most part, they didn't see most of them because they aired in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TV show was a little different because you knew you had to get to a certain something talent.
0: Yeah, and you had to get to mu- a talent. You,
1: yeah, yeah, that two twenty that interview you did live in the in the arena because Vince is there, and it was it was a little more structure on it. But uh, and of course, Gene had could do really whatever he wanted almost. But yeah, it was that you're right about that. There wasn't like it wasn't a written script. It wasn't uh, there was no teleprompter. Um, except when, when like you, I worked in the studio and did those wrestling updates with the magazine. I would write right. those out. Anything I did yeah. in the studio, I did write out with a teleprompter on, but, um, yeah, there was a lot of creative, uh, ability to be able to, you know, kind of put your own stamp on it. And then I don't know if you did these, but I would do once a month, I would do the color on the broadcast in Boston, in Boston and in Philly.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: They had a show on prism. Did you do that too?
0: Yeah, and we did the um, garden in New York too. We would do. Uh, I never did... I worked
1: the garden, but I didn't do the yeah. color. The garden was such a big deal on MSG. I just yeah. did the interviews and I was in the room. But right. for the other two in Boston I, on Nesson, I think it was at the time, and then in Philly on where I'm Prism, the play-by-play guy often. The guy in Philly is this guy named Dick Graham. He was an FM DJ. Didn't know yeah. anything about what was going on, but but he could do a. Fans, don't you love it? I mean, don't you love it? <laughs> and, uh, and then I was filling all the storylines because I knew what was going on. So that's right. what—that's why I did the color.
2: Right.
1: And in Boston, the same thing. I used to leave tickets for Will McDonough, Sean's father, who'd bring his yeah. son, who now is, I believe, the GM of the Phoenix Suns. Uh
0: huh. That's yeah. crazy. So, well, we would fun. do those shows, but we would do the we would do New York and Boston. And because they stopped doing yeah. the the Philly shows, but I would go down there with uh, superstar Billy Graham. He did the, a bunch of broadcasts with us and Alfred, and then we would take the train up to Boston and do the Garden oh. up there. And those trips right. were crazy. Uh, but oh, that's uh, funny. yeah, and it was great playing those venues because they were always just packed. And you know, the fans in New York and Boston were just out of their minds.
1: Great. Every every month there was a big deal. It was once a month, as I recall. And, yeah. for me working at the garden and like i said i didn't do the color i did more the reporter role and the interview role at the at Madison Square Garden um was a neat because you know i grew up going there watching the rangers pretty much and and being a big fan of going to that building to see hockey or basketball and then the work to actually working on a broadcast there was really neat i did I actually did some college big east stuff there but this was different to do uh, yeah wrestling
0: yeah absolutely and um you know there was just so much going on then that's when, when I look back at all the different things that we got to do, uh, it was really for a broadcaster uh, who was learning the ropes and, and developing. I mean, here you are, you did studio work, you did, uh, you know, play by play. We were doing, yep, you know, not only live shows, but also we would record uh, back at the studio for international matches. And then, you know, you know, you oh, did yeah. these live events in front of thousands of people. I mean, I, I can't think of a better training ground.
1: For, yeah. where else could you uh, go
0: get an kind of opportunity
1: yeah you're right and I, I remember when i first when i first got this uh, possible position when it was offered to me yeah. i called sam rosen who i got to know when i worked at the garden the, the still today the the longtime voice and now hall of fame voice of the new york rangers and i asked him what he thought about this because at the time it had a little bit of a stigma that it you know wasn't sports right and you really you didn't see uh, you know, I might have been the first one. I, I don't know. Who, Ken Resnick worked before me, and I don't know uh, what kind of sportscasting career he had after that. Yeah. Um, and bef- there really weren't many you know, guys like us, sportscaster guys, real meat and potatoes sportscaster types that did this job. It was right. mostly guys who were wrestling people all their life. And I didn't know if I would do this wrestling my whole life. My dream was always to be a sportscaster, but I love this opportunity. So I just asked Sam, what do you think? I don't want to quote, kill my career if I decided to do serious sports and he said no I think you'll be great it's a great company and uh, you know if you if you do stay in it a while you might get typecast as a wrestling guy yeah. and that might not be the worst thing either but for the most part um you know it's a big time tv operation now it's not like it used to be and and then you can see guys like Jonathan Coachman others have come out yourself and and uh have had you know distinguished careers you did news in New York for crying out loud yeah <laughs> you know yeah no, we uh <laughs> yeah
0: It is kind of interesting that, uh, and in that way, that's true because, uh, you know, you've got to uh, get on to get on. As uh, you know, I I did a show because I was a producer before I, you know, got the chance with Major League Baseball. That's how I I got in there, you know, from the uh, entry level, logging tapes every day. And I kind of moved my way up and produced and i did greats of the game which was a show with tim mccarver and i got to know him right. you know really well and and i started to do because this was when cable was really starting to explode and, and mlb was doing right. some of these experimental you know just to see how they would go they did pennant chase and these shows and i hosted right. some of them anyway i remember when this opportunity came up because i did a show called light moments in sports and did a wrestling bit and that's how i you know they noticed me uh-huh. and i taught and i asked him because here he was you know this big Broadcaster, right. a former athlete. I said, So, you know, uh, what do you think? And he said, Well, you got to get on to get on. And I said, What? He goes, well, if you don't do it, what the hell? I mean, you got to, this is an opportunity. You, it's what you do with it. Yeah. And that shows, that's, good, yeah. after I thought about it, I was like, Yeah, you got to get on to get on, you know? So I was like, You got to
1: get on to get on.
0: That's I never good. forgot that. Yeah. It just really, but it made a lot of sense to me because I was thinking, Well, he's like, What that, why wouldn't you do this? You know?
1: And it, yeah. uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I mean, I was in West Virginia, Sean. I was in Oak Hill, and by the way, I love my first job. I was finally on the air doing something I really wanted to do my whole life. Six and eleven o'clock in the middle of nowhere, but I had fun covering all these little stories and in this small little area. And then to get a chance to to go national, you know, overnight, literally overnight, less than a year into my career was was cool. I mean, yeah. and it, to be part everybody wants to be part of a big time production and. And and I really enjoyed the business part of it. The whole way it was done was was uh, eye opening to me uh, almost immediately, and I loved it. I really did. It was fun uh, for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, and um, you know some of those the the superstars at the time. You know, when I first met Hulk, he told me not to unpack. Uh, But uh, how was your relationship (laughs) with the Hulkster?
1: (laughs) Pretty good, actually. Uh, You know, I'm I'm actually I'm in my office right now, and I'm looking at a picture, and this kind of describes it too. So I did one of those Coliseum video half-hour shows with Hogan, and we went out on a, on a relatively small uh, race boat, if you will, and we did an interview literally on the boat. And so it was a small boat. It only had like two rows. So I was sitting. We were kind of, you know, if you picture the back seat, I was kind of sitting on the top of the back seat next to him, and the camera guy was to my left, and he was sitting there. And before we started rolling, he goes, oh, brother, could you just uh, he kind of like push me down like a little bit, like not hard, but he just said, could you sit down on the seat? So then I wound up. I sat on the on the seat. Now he's already six six, and I'm five yeah. ten, right? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm sitting. If you could picture it he wanted me to sit on the seat. So now I'm looking up my, I'm looking way up at him now.
2: Yeah. My, the now angle he looks like a view. monster. You would never do yeah. an
1: interview like this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but that's how Vince shot everything, right? He used to shoot it real low and Andre the giant came in. It was, you know, very clever photography and it made him look seven, five made him look, you know, 12 foot two. Uh, but I, I got along with him. He, he, he used to call me cool Craig every now and then. And, uh, he was very, he's always very nice. Um, uh, there wasn't a lot of interpersonal stuff uh, you know away from wrestling I think uh, maybe one time there was an issue at a the bar there where um, <laughs> I, I met this girl <laughs> at a place and uh, it was a, it's actually a funny story I met her and uh, it took forever and I was talking to her and I think she was gonna uh, I don't know anyway Hogan intercepted <laughs> uh, to say the okay. least <laughs> and uh, and he said brother next time i uh, uh, you come to Huntsville, she'll she'll say hi to you. I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> you know, but he was a funny guy, fun guy to work with.
0: Yeah, and you also, I don't know how uh, much you got to work with Alfred, but I know you spent time at Stanford. Uh, did you get oh, to yeah, spend a lot, a lot of time with his lordship? His lordship.
1: I loved him. Uh, yeah. First in in uh, Baltimore at the uh, at the doing the show the first year at Owings Mills, and then and then the next year we were in the big studio that were actually in the control room. I think we used to shoot that show. Wrestling no. um, uh, spotlight, yes. and so I worked with him for that year too. And he we lost him way too soon. Lord Alfred Hayes. he, yeah. was, he was a cheery man. Very yeah, so cheery, well, just a, just with that accent and the smile and the Craig and the way he said my name, it was it was a pleasure to work with him.
0: Yeah, and he always uh, put things so uh, so well. They would say, you know, you would never he hear him elegant. swear the way ever. he put
1: it. Uh, it made yeah. it sound so nice, so, so yeah. elegant. He was like doing golf instead of wrestling.
0: Yeah, like the if something really upset him, he'd say, "How unfortunate!" And you know, I just and drat. That was about as far as he'd go. But I never heard the yep. man utter an expletive no, ever. Never. But he really, never he, no, he was a
1: good, good
0: dude. Yeah, he really was awesome. And and like I said, it, it, I I wouldn't have made it through that first year uh, without him because he was uh, <laughs> you know so good to me.
1: Uh, yeah, so yeah, he was a good man. Uh, George, uh, you know another guy too is George the Animal Steel was such a, a great man. Oh yeah, he actually yeah. called me uh, uh, maybe a few three four months before he passed away, and he was up Ooh. in Melbourne. And I'm really really sorry I never got up. It was not that far from here for about three or four hours. He called me out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him in years, and I have a picture here actually also with him. He put he put his hand on the back of my head and he told the cameraman to take the picture on three, uh-huh. and and, at, and on, I don't know if you've taken this one, but on three, he literally grabbed the back of my hair and yanked it as hard as you possibly could. <laughs> and he's holding my chin with the other hand, and he's got his tongue out. And he's in a suit. He's not in his wrestling gear. He's yeah. in a suit. You know, he just, and he's got his tongue out, and I am in pain, because I'm like, ah! And that's when the picture's taken.
0: <laughs> and I bet it's a great picture. It,
1: but, didn't like it then. Love it now.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Well, it's hard to believe that. I mean, uh, how much time did you actually spend there? What was the span of I your I was only
1: there for two years. I was there about two years. 87, um, I want, 80. 87, you overlapped me a little. Uh, through, through 89 a little bit. Now, not through the whole, all 89, but literally yeah. it was about two years. I think I got there in February or so of 87-ish and yeah. probably was there till, you know. Actually, what happened uh, along the way there they changed my deal. They actually they actually let me go and kept me on freelance for a little while. And I wound up making more money that way. And then they brought me on full time back again. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know why. I don't remember exactly how it all happened. But so I wound up working a little over two years. And after that, then I would get calls from all these independent wrestling type companies. I worked at the UWF uh, with this guy Herb Abrams for a bunch of years later too. And some other shows uh, because of my name from the, from the WWF, but I was really only, I was only with Vince those two years and then later in the XFL. Yeah.
0: And uh, in the meantime, I mean, you've spent a lot of time down in Florida. I, I don't, uh, did you originally when you went down there to work at a local station or did you hook up yes. with a regional uh, sports? Yeah. Network no, first right first
1: away. I went to work uh, Yeah, for a local station and Sean, I worked for an ABC affiliate in West Palm beach. And, um, you know, I just got, got. To, actually, when I left wrestling, I was I really out of work for a little while. And I worked at my brother's comedy club. My brother's a stand-up comedian. He owned a yeah, comedy that's club right. on Long yeah. Island yeah. called the East Side Comedy Club, where <clears throat> a lot of people have uh, come out of, including uh, Kevin James, probably, and Eddie Murphy, when, when I was in my college years. Yeah. Um, and then and Kevin actually ended up getting me on a, uh, on, a, on a movie. I got in a movie called Here Comes the Boom as a ring announcer. Um, with Henry Winkler. It was kind of a cool experience. But anyway, um, I I came down to work for an ABC station here, and then I I, I got some work with ESPN while I was working in West Palm Beach doing their uh, roller hockey series with this guy Jim Fox, who does the Kings games, and then eventually got to Miami, and we worked for the NBC station in Miami before I went to the regional network.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time when I came back out here to Arizona, I worked with Fox sports net at it. That's what it was at the time. Now it's Fox sports, Arizona, Right. but, right. uh, same
1: company I work for down here. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and so you've done a lot of work with the Marlins and I know you've done, uh, you know, all, all like you said, cover just about every other sport. And I know a lot of people have hockey, wondered, do, you know, yeah. what you'd been doing, but, uh, you know, I've been working steadily since and doing what you love.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. I, I like to I like working on the team side. I, I did have a chance to do uh, a couple of Notre Dame football games, which is probably the ultimate highlight because I, I did play by play when the team was uh, when the Olympics were going on, and I got to do uh, two Notre Dame games with uh, really incredible incredible experience with the, the two games. The first one they played against Nebraska, the number one team in the country, it ended on a touchdown run by Eric Crouch. And the second week, Drew Brees was playing for Purdue, and they were ranked in the top 20 and 15th, I think, and Notre Dame won on a field goal to end the game. So those are the two play-by-play wow. games I got to do. Jack Welch, who was the chairman, came in at halftime with his wife, and he's looking at my charts, and uh, it was amazing, uh, really, to do those two games. But, uh, so I've had a chance to do a bunch of other stuff, uh, but my ba- it's nice to have a base and uh, doing baseball is neat because you, you get a lot of work, and it's if you love baseball, it's a fun thing to cover uh, the major leagues. And then I do hockey, which I love too, and down here in in South Florida.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting about that. The people that uh, you know work those sports, it never ends. I mean, you start basically with uh, spring training, and then you wrap up baseball, then you it overlaps into hockey, and you work
1: yeah, you gotta all be year I'm long. Only doing yeah. Home games now. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, really, but uh. Yeah. Uh, the wintertime, I'm only doing home games now, so it's not too bad. I actually do a cheerleading show, too, for CBS Sports Network, and I've done that for a while, and it's a fun event. We've done the colleges out of Daytona, and we do this other big event in Dallas. Then every now and then, other stuff comes along. I did some horse racing last year, and, you know, you get a call. I might do a swimming and diving show yeah. coming up. Um, and then I enjoy, you know, I have three kids, too, and I really enjoy that uh, uh, time that I have with my children. Although, as you know, Sean... Time flies, man. God, God, I've got no uh, kidding. My, my my middle guy just turned twenty, and I can't believe it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got three too. I got uh, one th- yeah. uh, one through and two th- in college right now, so it it does. It just right. flies. Oh, you by.
1: do. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it just goes uh, it goes real real quick. So I enjoy that family time, and uh, came from a big family too. So uh, I see my brothers and sister quite a bit too, and traveling around a little bit.
0: All right, let's get to yeah. this uh, with XFL, because uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize, you know, you went back to work for Vince. How did that opportunity come up? Because, you know, I actually, it, the weirdest thing, I just, I'd been come out here to Tucson and I get this FedEx package and there's an airline ticket in it and uh, a letter about me showing up for some audition for the XFL. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And, yeah. it was, and I, so I, I called the number this and I said, I really don't know. Right. I said, well, Ah, uh, Vince had you on a list, and he they, we sent it to you. I said, "What's it for?" They said, "Play by play." I'm like, "I don't do football play by play." I said, "I could, I could certainly do sideline." Like, "Okay, we'll get back to you." Right, right. And they, that was it. <laughs> like I
1: didn't, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't get back well, to me. I'm like, I, I, yes, <laughs> same, it's similar. Crazy. Um, I went there for the interview thinking I was going to be a reporter type role, yeah. and uh, but I had done in college play by play. Right. And uh, so I was comfortable doing play by play the thing I never done a television football game I did Syracuse football on the radio for two years did probably eight ten games and but I never done a television football game and uh, and here we go this is now 2000 probably 2000 I guess right around there so anyway they had these auditions I went to uh, the WWF headquarters and they had a shot sheet of the fourth quarter of the St. Louis was it New England? Of the, the St. Louis-New England uh, Super Bowl game.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the Rams game.
0: That and, must have been uh, weird going quarter. back to Stanford, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was a little different. Uh, yeah. You know, things looked different. I went into Vince's office, and, and then we went to the studio and literally sat down and did the fourth quarter with yeah. – um, there were a bunch of NFL-type guys there. Shannon Sharp, I think, was there. Vince oh. uh, – there a bunch of a- NFL players. Anyway, they called me back. They liked me. And, uh, and I ended up doing the fourth quarter eight different times on this callback with eight different analysts. Yeah. Uh And in the middle of one of the guys came up from some city and the the director's like, look, this isn't, this guy's not getting it. You don't have to give me a rest shot here. Just (laughs) because they had told me that they were going to use me, but I still felt like I was auditioning each and every
2: quarter. So I literally did it
1: all day long. (laughs) You know, the fourth quarter, the same quarter with a different guy would come in, another guy come in. And, uh, and I ended up getting hired, and I, I did the um, and that's how that got the Notre Dame game because it was it was a month later they needed somebody to do football and I was fresh in the minds of NBC slash uh, Titan and so uh-huh. I got to do those two games. But um, I wound up doing it with Bob Golik. We were on the basically they had four broadcast teams and we were the fourth team, but they liked us. And they moved us up in the playoffs, so we got one of the playoff games. Over, I think Chris Marlowe is still upset about it. He's uh-huh. a great broadcaster. Does the, I think Denver now is people known for the volleyball world nationally, but Golic and I wound up doing one of the playoff games. It was a lot of fun
0: Yeah, and we
1: all wanted it to come back the second year. We really did.
0: Yeah. Because people have talked to as far as the, the production of it and uh, you know, the product wasn't, wasn't terrible. And I love, there's a lot of innovations, you know, having a camera right there on the yep. field. Uh, what do you think it was? Why didn't it, you know, why did it fail?
1: Well, uh, they probably started a little too quickly. I mean, they they didn't have at, at a very short training camp. The teams weren't really ready to go. There was a lot more um, there was a lot more sizzle than than steak at the time in the beginning. But the football got a lot better. The players had uh, decent backgrounds. They were all guys who were verge on the verge of the NFL, but not quite. And by the end of the season, the football was was pretty good. Um, did it belong on NBC on a Saturday night? Probably not. Yeah. what happened was from what I heard, UPN, which was one of the television outlets, they wanted the wrestling package, which was on a different network on the Monday night wrestling. So they, from what I heard, they had offered, look, we'll be your outlet for the TV. We'll be your main outlet. And they had an affiliate, you know, in big markets, they were, they would cover the country. It, but Vince didn't want to give up the wrestling on Monday nights to UPN. right? And so the coaches thought it was coming back, by the way. We had two-year contracts. They didn't have to mm-hmm. pay us the second year, but we did have two-year deals. And they decided Vince wanted to do it. He had a big investment. I think it was $35 million. <laughs> They had the logos. They had everything set. Year two would have been better. Uh, I think football needs it. I think they could use this kind of a secondary league. There's enough interest, I think, in it. But, um, basically because they didn't have a NBC, Vince let NBC off the hook. He had a contract. He didn't want to hold them, uh, Dick Ebersol too. And they didn't really have another outlet. UPN wanted it, but they wanted something back for it. So they, they didn't have a TV outlet and it just, they said, okay, well, we'll cut bait. Unfortunately, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, they started doing some gimmicky things, uh, kind of into it. And I, I heard that, that Vince wasn't behind that, that, uh, you know, that, NBC wanted to bring more of that into it. And I just think that if they no, would have they really kept definitely. that, yeah, you know, the with the cheerleaders, cheerleaders and that kind of stuff like that.
1: Our stuff, and they, they, did, uh, they did go over the edge a few times with that. Um, yeah. You know, I did not do a game with Vince until the third game. We were at the Meadowlands, and I talked to Matt Veskirgin, who had worked with him the first one, one or two games, I think. And he said, have you worked with McMahon yet? I go, no. He goes, well, wait, you just wait. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you don't, you don't know. So oh, I'm like, I've worked him before. I know him very well, right? So the game we're doing, we're in, we're at the Meadowlands. Golik and and myself, and we're doing the game. And we're literally after the first play, it was a two yard run. Vincent in my ear. Tell me something about the running back. You know, and oh, I'm oh my god. And, and the whole, <laughs> I'm telling you, the whole freaking game, <laughs> Sean. Tell me something about that. And I'm looking at Golik like, is he You know, I'm mouthing, is he talking to you like this too? And he's nodding his head. I'm like, oh my god. That was the strangest broadcast I've ever done. That yeah. one game, he was, I did another game later in the year with Vince, and it was much easier. But that game, he was intense in that in that uh, in that room downstairs, being able to talk to us. <laughs>
0: well, now you know what those announcers go through with the WWE, because
1: uh, yeah, it's probably probably yeah. similar. But you yeah, know, he's... but he was the best at it. He was the, he was a great wrestling announcer too, along with being the the mastermind. So, uh, so he had that perspective as well, and he, you know, well, Craig, he always had a
0: a way of doing it. Yeah, Craig Minervini. Uh, I, I wonder, and folks, you, you know him as Craig DeGeorge. Many of these, uh, you know, everybody that listens to this loves that period of time, uh, Craig. So, yeah, uh, you, you, uh, I get emails all the time. You know, have you ever talked to Craig DeGeorge, You know, and uh, <laughs> when you look back at that time, and I don't know how that when you left, I don't know what was it. A, you know, your decision, their decision, was it a mutual decision?
1: No, they uh, let me, basically let me go. Um, uh, it was not a fun thing. I remember driving back from Stanford, being told they're going to let me go. I thought they really liked me. I think yeah. they did. I, I was a, I won't say who, but I had a little personal uh, issue with, with one person there. And, and I'm driving back, and I, I really was in a state of shock, to be honest with you, uh, driving back from Connecticut to like, wow. And I didn't tell anybody for a couple of days. Uh-huh. Um, it, was, uh, it hit me pretty hard at the time. But I bounced back. I was like, "All right, hey look, it was fun. I had a great time with it. I have no ill feelings. I loved it. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it for for that that long. Um, would I've liked it' to have gone a little bit longer, yeah, absolutely. It was a fun job. you know, and I was still young. I, I got that job at twenty three or four, so I was only twenty five ish. And you know, as you know, Sean, it, the, the TV business is tricky to to Ooh, wherever yeah. you are to break into and, and get that job and that you like, and one you can make a little money at it too. So that took me a little while to recover. Um, but, um, I, I had a great time with it. I really did.
0: Yeah. And when you, and when you look back now and and we both have had chances to, you know, reflect on it, but, uh, when you think about all that you were able to do during that period of time, how much do you think it helped you from that point, uh, to handle just about any situation?
1: Oh yeah, I think a lot because there was so much. It was an ad lib job. I I, yeah. I I was always a uh, comfortable ad libbing because in college that's pretty much all you did doing all these games, AAA baseball, and doing a lot of play by play helps you with ad libbing. There are there are a lot of people, and you know this too, that are talented broadcasters. But if that prompter goes, they're in trouble. Uh, yeah. they, they they rely on a script, you know. And uh, we you know, sportscasters tend to. It's a lot easier. I always thought in sports because. You know, it's a lot harder to ad lib a, a car wreck or something that's serious. We're on the yeah. we're in the comic pages. I mean, it's it's hard to screw it up. So you you got a lot of room, and plus you you grew up with it, right? We talked about our history. You know the you know what we're talking about. So you can you can get to wing it. But doing this job it was so wacky uh, with all these different characters and trying to fit in and and do your role that you, and the ad libbing and, and there's no really no script, It was just a kind of a structure. It helps you with everything I did, and not only that. To have a second life now, well, who would have ever thought these shows would rerun you know no, no 30 kidding. years later?
2: yeah,
1: and, and people still to this day I'm walking around, "Hey, I love you, to George, you know I still get that, and it's unbelievable, but it does have a second life with a, a younger generation because they're watching these old shows, and, and those shows are great, that the whole way the wrestling was there. I liked it better then than it, I, not that I don't like it today, but I yeah. really liked my era the time that I got to work with that and the way that the
0: business was. Yeah. And I think it was, a, it really was a, a golden era of, uh, for professional wrestling, just the, the, the personalities yeah. that were there and what was happening and it was just, it was mainstream in a much different way. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that we both, uh, appreciated every minute of it because, uh, I know I've oh, never yeah. read anything of you trashing, uh, what you did there or Vince or anybody. And I think that we both no, just appreciated the opportunity we got.
1: And I got to work with Vince again, obviously doing the XFL, which was great.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, you know, who knows? You never know. Maybe I'll work for him a third time somewhere. But yeah. I, he was—I've never worked for anybody like that. And it, I was because of the jobs we had. Yeah, even though we were sort of low on the totem pole, we had an instant connection with Vince because of what we did. And so that was really neat for me to have that with uh, with somebody like Vince McMahon. He had a big influence on me. Him and, yeah, me and the I, whole and- wrestling business.
0: Yeah, and I think that uh, I'm sure you hear all the time from some of the uh, the young people coming up who want to get into the business. And you know, I always tell them, you know, I, I don't consider myself. I was the the best looking. I wasn't the most talented. But one thing I learned along the way is you got to get up. And and <laughs> if you're one of those people that yeah. just keeps getting up, uh, you're going to do yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember one interview I did with uh, Mr. T. And, Sean, I just couldn't spit it out. I kept stumbling over Hmm. I don't know what it was.
0: Oh, we had those. Uh,
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) I had about eight takes, and he's like, yeah, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, let's go! You know, one of those, and then finally I got it. it (laughs) But those things happen. We all make mistakes, and that was on tape, so we were able to do it again, and it kind of knocked it out. But uh, for the most part, I think uh, they liked what I did there, and it was fun. And uh, like I said, I wound up doing this UWF show, which was fun. Yeah. for a while, the, it was called Universal Wrestling on Sports Channel and then I wound up doing these, in Tampa there was a show, there was a guy named Hiro Matsuda, he was a Japanese wrestler oh, yeah,
2: yeah sure. and he would
1: bring back uh, some wrestling from Mexico it was like Japanese wrestlers against Mexicans Lucius Thunder Liger or something and, and, yeah, and I would go there with Oliver Humpernick in Tampa <laughs> and we would do the play by play of yeah. all things uh, for yeah. a couple of years I used to fly over to Tampa and well, do that I,
0: and, you know, I tell you, look at me like what a crazy ride, you know, really, yeah. it really was <laughs> and has been since, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Well, uh, Craig, I can't tell you, it's but it's really finally getting a chance to to talk to you and compare notes, uh, on, on during that time. Uh, I think that we uh, both learned to appreciate uh, what that time was like and the, and the fans. And I, another thing you talk about, you know, what you would hear in the arenas when Hulk Hogan walked in there, but, uh, Along the way, in all the sports I've covered, I've never seen more loyal fans than WWF oh. slash WWE fans. They're they're incredible.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. And they they would pack the houses wherever we went back then, and they still pack them today. And it's really yeah. amazing because the, everything has changed, and they still the wrestling business is still hot. And it's amazing, really. It's a credit to the, them, but but it's a great show. People know know the uh, inside now and how it is. They didn't know it back then as much. Uh, but it is a great show. It's great entertainment. I'll tell you what. How many times do you interview an athlete in another sport and go, boy, I wish I was interviewed on Wrestler Today? They they just get it. <laughs> <laughs> They're an easier Exactly.
0: Interview. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I don't know if you uh, hear from many of these people, but uh, if if you have an email or something where they can reach you, I, uh, you're going to hear from people. So I don't know how people can get in touch with you, but I know there's people out there that would love to. Well, uh, 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 I, I, I don't uh, know. I keep getting uh, these.
1: The best way is probably – I'm Craig Minervini on Twitter, at Craig Minervini, at C-R-A-I-G-M-I-N-E-R-V-I-N-I, at Craig Minervini on Twitter. That's probably the best way. And they could follow me there, too. Um, sometimes I opine about wrestling, but usually about sports. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to have a Twitter follow, and I will definitely respond if anybody hears this and uh, wants to chat. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Hey, you know what? I'm going to uh, arrange a lunch with Gene when I get to uh, Sarasota. Because I've got friends there. So when I, when I come out yes. that way, we have got to arrange a lunch and have absolutely. a few. Absolutely.
1: I'm on the east side. I will do it for sure. And I'm going to hopefully yeah. hook up with him there. My son is on a hockey circuit. He was playing over there a few times. And uh, there was a couple of times where Gene was going to make it out. and He couldn't make it and that kind yeah. of thing. Great guy. But uh, a, it's a good wrestling area that west, uh, you know, where Hogan was. And B. Brian Blair and the gang over there in the west side of uh, Florida. So absolutely, when you come down, give me a holler.
0: All right, Craig. It's been great talking to you, and uh, it's it's awesome to hear about how well you've done along the way. And uh, I'm a, you got to come back again sometime, and we'll chat. But uh, we'll definitely Absolutely. catch up. Absolutely, there's a lot
1: more to cover. Next time, we'll cover Superstar Billy Graham's return.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us out with a little Marv, will you?
1: Well, and I will say this, Sean. This is the uh, first uh, podcast I have done in my uh, brilliant career, and if someone asks me. Uh, did you enjoy the opportunity to talk to Sean Mooney? Uh, there could only be one answer. Yes. and
0: <laughs> I really enjoyed catching up with the very talented Craig Minervini. He does a great Marv Albert, doesn't he? he? really does. Uh, he's gone on to have a very successful career in sports television, and it was really great hearing his take on all that went on back when the WWF, WWE was just exploding. That was, you know, there in the mid 80s. He was right there. All that stuff about uh, the XFL I thought was also pretty incredible. And uh, Who knows, after Vince McMahon's announcement this past week about the return of the XFL, we may soon see Craig back in the broadcast booth. See, we never really go away. We're all part of the family still. You can get to me on Twitter, at Sean Mooney Who. If you're listening on iTunes, please remember to subscribe and give us a rating and a review. It really counts. And next week, listen to the Davy Boy Smith's son, Harry Smith, who's going to join us on the podcast. And man, I am not kidding. because he has some stories to tell? I'm telling you uh, stories you have never heard before. I'm telling you. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out.